Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, May 27th is just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors, and the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what pot to smoke. It's true. They talk about it. And so much more, including politics, political columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Maya Duke Masava, and so much more. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And you can become a binhead, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Find out how you can help the Ben Jarofsky show. Oh my God, Frank is back on the live stream chat. Frank, we were worried sick about you. Welcome back, Frank. And the Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Thursday, May 27th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome back Mark Sims and Harish Patel. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Bernie Gate Thursday, and here's why. Breaking news all over the place this morning. It's the bottle smashing. Oh, it's like a bar fight. It's like a whip. Oh, God. Well, we'll, we'll edit that out of the podcast. Um, anyway, yes, I was going to do... Uh, The latest Donald Trump scandal, which has to do with allegations. They're just allegations, ladies and gentlemen. This broke in the Washington Post today that uh, Donnie Trump in 2008, I want to say, offered a bribe to Senator uh, Arlene Arlen Specter to get him to drop the congressional investigation into Deflategate. Uh, Not Deflategate, the other scandal, uh, Spygate, with the, uh, uh, the football team from New England, New England Patriots. But no, then Frank, the aforementioned Frank, sent me a, a text this morning about Bernie Sanders, the latest Bernie Sanders scandal. I just had to take the deep dive in this. So we'll get to that Donald Trump scandal some other time. I know it's not going anywhere. All right, let, we'll do uh, the deep dive on Bernie's scandal. But first, a confession. Everybody knows this, but I got to say this up front. Yes, yes, yes. I'm a big Bernie fan. I voted for him twice. In fact, every time I see his name on the ballot, I punch it. <laughs> It feels kind of liberating, at least at first. Like back in 2016, it was like the unacceptable behavior. Everybody in my generation, my baby boomer generation, was voting for Hillary Clinton. And they were telling Bernie, you can't vote for Bernie. It's irresponsible. He can't possibly beat the Republicans. You want Donald Trump to be your president? Is that what you want? You got to vote for Hillary Clinton. And I said, no, I'm going to do what I want to (laughs) do. 
And so instead of being this like broken down old war horse of an old guy columnist, I felt young again. It was like 1975 and I was on the rocks listening to the war. Stepping in the darkness. Come on, D. Well, anyway. <laughs> Dennis is like, I never heard of that song and I wouldn't know what it is anyway from your rendition. Anyway, by the time 2020 rolled around, Voting for Bernie was so passe that even PC did it. Yes, that's right. Peter PC Cunningham, everyone's favorite centrist, voted for Bernie. Peter Cunningham, of course, is the brains behind Arnie Duncan and Mayor Daly and Rahm Emanuel. And the answer to the following trivia question. If Mayor Daly or Mayor Rahm ever said anything remotely intelligent, who wrote the intelligent thing that they said? And the answer is Peter Cunningham. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, by the way as i do this mark sims is coming in and out it's like it's kind of funny folks on google media he's in he's out he's in he's out anyway we'll get to mark sims in a little bit back to peter cunningham and you know i love you peter by the way great show with peter if i must say myself last week i urge everybody to check it out if you haven't already but anyway, the point is, Peter voted for Bernie this time around. So really, you can't say it was that, like, outrageous to vote for Bernie. Anyway, as we all know what happened, the black voters of America, the black voters of the Democratic Party weighed in and basically bounced Bernie from the ballot, largely because they took one look at him and said, there's no way that white people are going to vote for this guy. Let's be honest, Marcus T. Sims, you know exactly why Bernie Sanders lost. Uh, he could not get... A majority, he couldn't even get like a, I don't know, a sliver of the black vote. Uh, and you're not going to win a Democratic nomination without it. And so it turns out uh, that those voters are a lot smarter than me because the man the Democrats nominated, Joe Biden, went on to defeat Donald Trump. And I'm not sure Bernie could have done it. So I was wrong and you were right. But that's not where I was going with this. I'm going to Bernie Gate. A new book came out about uh, Bernie. It's called The Battle for the Soul Inside the Democratic Campaign to Defeat Trump. So I guess the book's really not about Bernie, but that's not the point. It digs up some dirt on Bernie to make him look bad. Here's the deal. Bernie's an avowed Democratic socialist. He thinks that gazillionaires like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates should pay more in taxes. And as such, he's supposed to live in a cave and wear rags and ride a bicycle. And not a new bicycle, but a broken down old bicycle. And he's never supposed to eat out unless it's at Subway or McDonald's, because that would be hypocrisy. Because as everybody knows, lefties are supposed to live like monks and not just ordinary monks, but dead broke monks. If you're a lefty, you're you're not even supposed to order wine. And I know this. I know this because I have dined out with centrists. I'll leave their names out of this, but I've dined out with centrists for lunch. Yes. And they love that part of the dining experience when we order, because that's where they get to make fun of me. So, like, you know, if you ask the waiter, what's the special today? They go, oh, Mr. Democratic Socialist wants to know what the special is. Or if you order wine, they go, oh, Mr. Democratic Socialist loves his Chardonnay. And then they all laugh. (laughs) Oh, those centrists, they got a million of them. Anyway, apparently Bernie makes more demands than your average, ordinary, even centrist. Apparently Bernie has, quote, a Senator Comfort Memo detailing specifications for his travel plans. Uh, This excerpt, of course, was first reported by Fox News. I mean, (laughs) duh. 
Fox News loves digging up dirt on Bernie. According to the book, Sanders prefers suites with bathtubs and king-size beds, which have to have a down comforter or another blanket in the closet. He preferred that the uh, extra blanket be dark blue and made of cotton. What a bizarre... (laughs) I mean, I'm just thinking about it like specification, dark blue. What difference does it make what the color is? It's at night. The lights are off. You're asleep. I don't know. Maybe it helps him fall asleep just knowing that the blanket is blue or maybe he sleeps with the light on. I don't know. Anyway, Bernie also insists that his hotel rooms be kept at 60 degrees. Even it means opening a window in the winter or manually overriding the thermic, (laughs) the climate control. So, you know, of course, they're going to be talking about wasting electricity and wasting gas. Oh, some environmentalist he is, huh? The Comfort Memo also reported required that Sanders hotel rooms be stocked with green tea, Gatorade, and assorted nuts. No word about M&Ms. That's a line from the New York Post story that I got this from, which is actually not a bad line. Got to give him credit. So anyway, they're whacking away at Bernie. And you know what? It's all fair game. I'm not crying about that. Uh, In politics today, that's how the game is played. All attempts to make the other side look hypocritical. That's what you do. I understand. I do the same thing. But I'll say this. Compare the quote unquote hypocrisy of Bernie to that of Donald Trump. Just give me one instance of it. Donald Trump waved the flag for the war in Vietnam. And then he got his daddy's doctor to give him an exemption to stay out of it. He spent those years partying like a rock star and then bragged to Howard Stern that the only thing he had to worry about was catching BD. And now he talks about how much he loves veterans, how much he respects the sacrifice they made. Yeah, none of us are perfect. None of us completely practice what we preach. But I got to say this, Republicans, your hypocrisy is a lot worse than ours. We got a great show today, everybody. A man who is not a hypocrite in any way. Mark Sims is on deck. We're going to bring him on really soon. Yes, that Mark Sims. That Mark Sims turns down the heat when he goes to bed because he doesn't want to waste electricity. That Mark Sims never orders Chardonnay at a restaurant because he (laughs) doesn't drink or anything like that. Harish Patel will be joining us uh, at the second part of the show, uh, an activist. He's going to be talking about the uh, earned tax credit. Very important issue. Uh, there's a bill that's uh, right now in Springfield. So uh, uh, we're looking forward to that conversation with Harish Patel. We're going to bring Mark Sims on after we take this break. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971 welcome back to the ben jarofsky show live from his attic Pacho host mark sims a regular guest on my show uh, mark sims is a host of his own podcast and he has me on as a guest uh, every now and then so mark before we get started i want to thank you 
uh, for the the last time you had me on the guest. I think it was a week ago. And I've made a reference uh, to the fact that I've struggled with dyslexia most of my life or as far as I know, all my life. Uh, and nobody picked up on it except for Mark Sims. Very nice of him. And he reached out to me and asked me about it. And so I remember it was a beautiful day. It was last week. I, w- I was doing my walk. Mark was m- making fun of me, as he always does, because I live in a, n- a neighborhood where you can go walking in uh, without fear of getting shot, I guess. Um, although this is Chicago, Mark. Sh- <laughs> nothing's completely safe. And um, anyway, it was just a very therapeutic conversation, Mark. Uh, and I enjoyed it talking about it in a weird way. I got a lot of stuff off. So thank you, uh, for engaging me in that. And I urge everybody to check out that interview. Thank you, Mark. Well, let's go to my, uh, uh, Twitter feed. I mean, I don't want to promote Twitter, but we have to go to Mark Sim Chicago on Twitter, M-A-R-C-S-I-M-S Chicago at Twitter. I mean, look it up. You'll find it. You'll find the interview. No, I did not know, Ben, that you were self Diagnosed. I thought you had, you know, doctors looking at you. I thought you were, oh, you know, no. you, you. So you don't really know if you have dyslexia. You're I, just I don't assuming. Even know. I'm just assuming that you have symptoms of dyslexia. Yes. But, and I gotta feel like this. I mean, I just gotta think that there's something wrong because my whole life I've struggled with reversals. Uh, yeah, you got and, it. And, you know, I've been really <laughs> thinking about. Uh, I don't want to go too far with this because I want to get into the, uh, the subjects we're talking about. Yeah. But like, I feel like when you ask me, well, Ben, if you struggle with this, how can you write? And I realized that the way I go about writing is where I'll think stuff out of my head and memorize it. You know what I'm saying? Like the column I just did um, that I ran in the reader about uh, lefties being silent, silent in the face of anti-Semitism was something I was thinking about, Mark. As I've been walking, you know what I'm saying? I think the lines come to me uh, while I'm walking. I memorize them. And um, as opposed to, I think I would say most writers sit down and just, you know, in front of the computer and write it out. So we all do what we can with what we got. And the point of the interview that uh, Mark's ultimate point, which I thought was a very telling one, was that without the support system I had from uh, my parents, particularly my mom, I don't know where I would have ended up. So. You would have been in jail, Ben. Jail. Prison. <laughs> Benny J. <laughs> Breaking rocks. Locked up, as the song Yeah, says. locked up. I mean, uh, it's, it's serious, though, because I think a, a lot of some of the criminals in Chicago, I'm assuming, have some form of dyslexia. Dyslexia, and they never really got the support or diagnosed. And here we are. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. All right. Uh, so... Absolutely, you want to talk about uh, neighborhood crime and low-income black neighborhoods in Chicago. That uh, is where Mark Sims is at. Uh, he thinks about this stuff all the time. He writes about it. He sends me constantly, sends me emails uh, on the subject, uh, and he teases me. And let's just go into that. Uh, it's all good-natured, but uh, the fact that I can walk in my neighborhood, but Mark can't walk in his neighborhood. I can't walk. I'm just scared to walk. <laughs> I'm scared to walk in my own neighborhood. Yes, you can walk at your own peril. 
But you know, you know, it's, I was, uh, I was telling you, or was it you? I mean, I do the same. I was talking to Slim Moakia. I had Slim Moakia on my other podcast for African Americans. <laughs> I'm like Lori Lightfoot. Sometimes I only want to talk to African Americans. <laughs> None of y'all other people. Y'all gotta wait. People of color only. But, but I was at, I was on 61st. I was telling Slim Moakia, and that podcast is on Mark Sim Chicago on Twitter. The, uh, I was, I was uh, on 61st and King Drive. And a young lady was shot in the chest and the foot, I think, or something, leg. I don't know what happened to her because, you know, you move on to the next story. But it's always chilling, not chilling, but it's always, you know, you see the tape, you see the police, you see the news reporters, you see the helicopters. You're like, damn. In some neighborhoods, this goes on all the time. It's sad. Yeah. It is sad. And uh, we've talked about this on the show with so many, with so many different guests about crime in Chicago, what's going on. Uh, I believe it's not just Chicago anymore, but I believe that absolutely. Um, we just put such, what's it, what's, what's the word? Emphasis on retaliation. So I just think that's part of the mentality of folks in this country and not just black people. Everybody's at that. You punch me, I'm punching you back, that kind of thing. And, uh, but beyond that, there's no accountability whatsoever for the gun manufacturers for the uh, damage that their products oh, you, cause. You sound like so, Lori Lightfoot now. Well, no, no. Yeah, so blame, oh, she blamed the judges. I forgot. Yeah. She, Lori Lightfoot's thing, which by the way, I got to think. <laughs> Another thank you to Mark Sims. We'll get into that. He sent me the email uh, that I riffed on yesterday, Patrick Smith uh, and Lori Life. If, if it wasn't for Frank and Mark Sims, and other, I don't know what I would do. Ramana, always people are sending me stuff. No, no but it's like social media. Social media is so good because I know a lot of people hate social media. They say, get off it. It's ruining your life. And I understand those arguments, but it's a lot of articles like your article. I retweeted this morning. I will put it on Facebook later on. Everybody who lo loves Benny J should retweet his uh, columns and retweet the podcast, which I always do. Because like you said the other day, before I get back over to Patrick Smith and WB, and Lori Lightfoot, you mentioned in the show that you're shocked to talk to people who still remembers you had a radio show. Yeah. And what you've been doing for the past two and a half years. And so a lot of people need to be aware of your show. But uh, Patrick Smith, well, the whole thing, you, you got to the details about Lori Lightfoot and everything. Lori Lightfoot is wonderful. I met her because of you. I want her to win again. I want her to win re-election. She says she's not going to do a third term right now, but if she gets to be a second term, unlike Jane Byrne, would be great. And um, I mentioned I mentioned Lori Life. I think she's sincere, but she is, you know, part of the establishment. I get it. I like, and uh, let me go a far field. That's what I do. Peter Cunningham was on your show. He was phenomenal talking about crime. And I wish it was more people. We have Father Flager, but it's not enough African American leaders. But Peter Cunningham is not an African American leader, of course. <laughs> we don't have enough African American leaders that say we're going to end this crime. But it's hard because you have to teach people how to act. And it's and like the CTU, your friends at the Chicago Teachers Union, they talk about wraparound services, and they're right. You have to have wraparound services because if you don't have a wonderful middle-class parent or a wonderful working-class parent that's really on you or really helping you, you don't have the schools helping you, you're going to fall through the cracks. It's like Lori Lightford. Hopefully she picks a new Super, I mean, CEO of the Chicago Public Schools and the chief education officer. A lot of people leave the, the administration. She has two people she has to, to appoint. appoint uh, uh, I forgot who was the superintendent when uh, Jane Byrne was uh, 
back and I'm going, going you know, so I, I have, see you have dyslexia. I have ADD, okay? <laughs> Uh, I got, I got this. So you can stop me anytime you want. But you know what's Superintendent for Jane Byrne? Wasn't Jane Byrne, there, I, many of them. There were some many of them. Whoever, they put two white women on the board of yes. education. Yes. And that was a big brouhaha. It was one of the things that got Jane out. And that's a long time ago. You know that stuff better than I do. So the schools are important. And hopefully Lori Lightfoot handles this correctly because I want Lori Lightfoot to have, have some people that run the public schools that don't let any, especially young men, fall through the cracks and come out of high school with no skills, no education, can't read. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a travesty in this modern era. So. It is a travesty. Uh, and before we, 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 you made a quick uh, tangent to the schools, let me just, just finish my point about uh, the carnage in, in Chicago and throughout the country. Just the shooting yesterday in San Jose, eight people killed. Uh, the, the weapons manufacturers will never be held accountable for that because they're exempt from uh, product liability law. Jim Coogan has come on the show and talk about it, maybe bring him back to have this conversation. Ace attorney, Jim Coogan, who makes his living uh, in cases like this, uh, like uh, negligence cases or product liability cases, that kind of thing. So he knows the intricacies of the law that governs this. If you exempt the weapon manufacturers from laws holding them responsible for the carnage created by their products, then they'll have no reason or incentive whatsoever to what demand that there be a limitation on the number of guns that are purchased uh, to hold manuf- gun manufacturer the gun to uh, retail outlets responsible for who they sell their their guns to. So it's just like. If there's no accountability whatsoever, it gets back to crime, Mark. You've, we've had this discussion before. If people, if the police department is not able to, if they're not able to uh, in, investigate and uh, arrest somebody and uh, come up with the evidence to convict somebody for murder, what is the accountability on that end that would hold, might deter somebody from getting a gun out and settling a dispute by shooting him. So that's the question I've always asked. And in this country where we love the gun, you can't, that's different than Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot's saying, well, judges are letting uh, people out of jail that should, if shouldn't be uh, on the, on the streets, they should be back in jail because they would shoot somebody, which is different than saying a hold the gun manufacturers accountable. I got to give them credit. Richard Daly Richard M. Daly was for that. So you get my point? Yeah, I get it. I, I mean, uh, you know, I'm more conservative than you are, Ben. So, you know, guns are one problem, but crazy people with guns are a real problem. And sometimes, I don't know the situation in San Jose, but some of these workplace killings, sometimes people can see it coming, but no one thinks it's going to get that bad, so they don't stop it. And you don't want to, what's that famous, you like movies, Minority Report with uh, Tom Cruise or something? Yeah. You don't want to, I mean, I saw it, and it, it was okay. But the point is that I, you don't want to get to the point where you start arresting people before they commit crime. Yeah. But, you, but sometimes we see people in our own family, they're ticking time bombs, you know, and you know that it could end poorly, but what do you do? Do you turn them in now? Who do you turn them into? I mean, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's disgusting. Don't get me started about African-Americans. I mean, so, uh, you go to, uh, you know, MarkSims.com on Twitter, you can see Celine Moore, our kid. We talked about our problem is our, we have a lot of problems, but other people don't really realize we're descendants of the slaves. 
And if people don't understand what it means, see, the Mexicans know they're Mexicans, and the Koreans know they're Koreans. We're still arguing about who's black and how to be black. You know what I'm saying? I have some black self-hate. I got a lot of it being in this in this culture. I have to deal with every day. So sometimes black people kill them, kill each other because I don't like my black self, and you're black. I'm going to kill you. And people say, well. Middle-class black people don't kill each other, yes, but middle-class black people move away from the <laughs> lower-class black folks. Don't get me started. because And then, of course, those lower-class African-Americans don't have role models, blah, 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 blah. It's a vicious cycle. But we do have a lot of self-hate, and we have a lot of pathologies, and a lot of it's that we don't really agree on who we are as a people. When I was a kid, we were black. Think about that, Ben. You old enough probably remember when we were Negroes. <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> and, I, and I predict, I predict another 50, 40, 50, 60 years, not even 50 years from now, African Americans, hopefully I'm around in 100 something years old, that African Americans won't be calling themselves African Americans. They probably be called, we'll probably be called Americans. They will say how much African ancestry we have. We say, I'm American. Yes, from America, I have 50%. I probably, I probably have 60%, 70%. I don't have 100%, that's for sure. And most black people don't have 100% sub-African, sub I mean, sub-Saharan African blood. So we'll probably, we'll probably be just Americans another 50 years. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I'm talking about the evolution of us as a people and a city and humanity. And we have to think about 20, 30 years down the road, down the road. And that's how you stop crying today. I mean, not today, 10, 20 years. You have to have a 10, 20 year plan. And it really comes down to mental health, public education. It comes down to those wraparound services to see to you. Can, we can end this, but we have a racist. I hate saying racist. I hate going there, Ben. I hate sound, hate sound like, I hate sounding like Malcolm X. But this country is racist. That's why we love guns, man. We had because we have Negroes, right? We got we we got we they took care of the Indians, Native Americans, or Native indigenous people. But the slaves, you know, I think in the, even in the South, I think black folks what we were half the population after the Civil War, during the Civil War, like four million. We were half the population. So we've always had Negroes and people, and, and the Republicans still play that game to this very day. They still play the Willie Horton game. Those Negroes are coming to get you. Yes. Watch out for those Negroes. <laughs> those blacks. Those African Americans. Wow. They're killers. By the way, that was, that was an incredible riff that you went on. And I just want to annotate a little bit of it. Uh, one part of it, my beloved Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, Mark struggles with the Chicago teachers. I'm just going to put it out there. Mark struggles with them. He's got, yeah, issues I got issues. Chicago issues. teachers. Issues. I, I, uh, I love the Chicago Teachers Union. They're not perfect. I criticize them from time to time. Went way in too strong for Tony Perkwin. Go over to Lori Lightfoot. Tony didn't deserve the accolades he gave her, and it wasn't smart strategy to alienate Lori. That said, they're the only ones. They are the only ones on a regular, routine basis advocating for the kinds of things that Mark Sims uh, was just uh, talking about how we need the quote-unquote wraparound services. And I'll say this, Mark, whenever they do that, they're maligned by the powers that be in this city. They're maligned. Everybody says when there's some horrible tragedy in the city of Chicago that it's just forces everyone to pause. You know, like Adam Toledo getting shot, a 13-year-old getting shot in an alley. Just people pause and say, oh, my God, how can we come to this? What we should do, we, should, we need this, that, and the other thing. It's all things that the Chicago Teachers Union has advocated for and has been, what, maligned, mocked for doing so? So I'm just saying, Mark, I know you got your issues with the Chicago Teachers Union for various reasons, which I don't really understand, but you got to admit they're the only group that's consistent, consistently using whatever power they have to push 
for the very programs that you believe in. Do you, do you acknowledge that? Yes, I acknowledge a broken clock is right twice a day. But you know, you know, how, you know, I'm, I'm a quasi, and I say, well, I'm not quasi. I'm not an anti-vaxer. But you're not mad at me being for. I'm not. I haven't taken a, a shot yet. You know what I'm saying? I, I do not. Under, I have. We've not had this conversation. You just mentioned it to me in passing before the show. So what? Why haven't you had the vaccine yet? I had because I'm a, I'm a recalcitrant person by nature. I want to fight the system. No, my problem. I, I'm not saying the vaccines are good or bad. You you've gotten your shots, right? Oh yeah, you kidding? But you you part of the elderly community that needs to get the shot right that's what by the way i just want to say one thing i gotta get this off my chest this man's only four years younger than me don't tell your age don't tell your age but the point is that but see the thing about that you we're both baby boomers but you were born in the 50s i'll sing you that song the the police had a song born in the 50s i'll sing you that song Okay, okay, go ahead. Right, no, no, no. But, but to get off the subject, seriously, my problem with the whole vaccine is that it's, it's called, my problem is the manufactured consent. They're trying to get everybody to take the vaccine, although they know everybody's not going to take it. But the, the manufactured consent of it, and that's what I don't like. I'd rather have a broader conversation. Uh, Bill Maher had a, had a great conversation with the uh, integrative medicine type dude months ago or last year, whatever, last year on his show. But of course, Bill Maher has contracted COVID-19. The point is that you, I, you can get it. I have no problem with the vaccine itself, but we don't have that conversation of uh, who's who's got it. I think I got it earlier. Who, uh, do they have antibodies? The people who don't get it, will they actually some, at some point get the, vac, get the, uh, the coronavirus as it mutates? We don't have a broad discussion. We don't have different... Uh, I think Trump got some uh, some some medicine. We don't have an over-counter medicine, so even prescription medicine. That if you get it, you don't have. If you get, if you if you don't want to take the vaccine and you get COVID, you can take these medicines over the counter. Tamiflu. My problem is that everything's vaccine. Everything's vaccine. Everything's vaccine. Then again, I'm one of those people that that believe that vaccines is one of the reasons why we have a lot of autism in this country. Don't get me started. Okay. All right, please. I am not going down that road. What do you do, Dennis? And, and then don't put vaccines into the description because when you say anything bad about the vaccines, man, you get as uh, what's one of the Kennedy sons? What's his name? One of the Kennedy sons. He's like tired and feather. What a Bobby, junior, right? Kennedy, what a Bobby Kennedy sons. Yeah. Oh my God. I believe everything he says about vaccines, but he's a persona non grata, you know. Look, Mark, I've known you for twenty many years. years. Many years. Many years. Many years. Oh, about okay. 20, many. Yes, you go look at that first article uh, I wrote about right. you. Okay. You're I hate old, to say man. it, you young man. Old, man. <laughs> yes, we're getting old. So here's the deal about Mark Sims. And I, I share a little bit of this, I I must confess. When everybody's going left, he goes right. When everybody's going right, he goes left. He's got this knee-jerk, instinctive reaction to be just outside of the mainstream. And I can understand that. I feel those same tendencies. But denying yourself the vaccine, I hear you uh, manufacture consent, Noam Chomsky. All of a sudden, you're a lefty. That's a Noam Chomsky. Yeah, Noam Chomsky, manufacture consent. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I love Noam Chomsky. But (laughs) all of a sudden, that's the issue that you're going to defy? Like, everybody's got a cell phone. The only person I know who didn't have email was my father, may he rest in peace, 
He would give you a whole lecture on how the civilization is is eroding because of email. I didn't see anybody stopping. <laughs> I didn't see anybody. You know, everybody's getting email. And, and it, you know what's so funny? If you're against the vaccine, now they're like bribing people to get the vaccine. In, in I think I, it's Ohio, the state of Ohio, which I'm going to refrain from making fun of. I believe they got a, I think it's Ohio. A million dollars. You see this? Yeah, people more. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, wait a minute, people. That's your price? <laughs> this is some guy. You, you're going to throw away your, your, your inner convictions for the chance to get a million? Because you don't have the guarantee mark. You don't have the, And how about, here's the other thing about Lollapalooza. They're going to make, I, I believe, getting into Lollapalooza is going to be contingent on either getting the vaccine or or uh, being uh, uh, testing negative. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I had no problem with that. You should be tested and say, hey, I, I passed the test. Can I get inside? And they said, cool, we get inside. I, I, I go, I don't know, but the, but the major thing you throw your that, convictions out the window just for Lollapalooza. That's just what I'm saying. So no, I'm no, 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 I, no I, but I think I just want to have a, a robust discussion. That's all. I mean, it, like you, you can have a robust discussion that, let's say, the states like Indiana, who didn't want to hurt, Texas didn't want to hurt the economy, were more looser. Uh, I mean, more uh, less restrictive than uh, J.B. Prisker. What are the rates there? Who's gotten sick? I, I just want a more robust discussion. That's all. Okay. And that, and this country, we don't have because we want manufactured consent. But, but then again, if I was in charge, you need manufactured consent to keep the, the herd the cats, you know, the herd the animals and make sure they act right. You do need that. It's a catch-22. Like I heard my buddy, uh, Mario Anderson was really good on your show yesterday. And he talked about, the, uh, he was, uh, on some days he's, he's uh, atheist and some days he's agnostic, right? Yeah. And, and so organized religion, you know, when we're talking politics and religion, man, which is not good. I'm not a big fan of organized religion, but I know you have to need it because it is, for one level, it is an opiate of the masses, and you have to have it because you ha- you uh, uh, some type of belief system. Otherwise, you have chaos. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I understand how this works, but somebody's got to say, you know, let's think about this. Let's not rush. And guess what? When it's all said and done, being you know, maybe only what seventy something percent of the country. Okay, let's say eighty five percent of the country is going to get. The, vac- uh, the, uh, the the vaccine, but the one of the vaccines, but maybe 15, 20% are just not, no matter what happens. They know it, you know it, and hopefully we get herd immunity because people like you are going to take the shot. Yeah. Um, well, by the way, uh, that uh, reference to Monroe Anderson, he was on a roll yesterday, and I said this to Mark before we went on the air. Uh, Monroe has reached that uh, part of life where he doesn't really care what people say or what they think, and I, I really respect that. I'm almost there myself. <laughs> I'm almost there. And Mark uh, is almost there uh, as I'm well. A, I'm a good, a good 15 years away, but I, that's a great thing. I like talking to people in their 70s because they're there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And, and I still care about what people think about me, which is disastrous. And you, you in some respects, when you don't give a F, man, yeah. you're so free. I ain't there yet, Ben. Monroe's uh, there. Monroe's there, and uh, we we mentioned this. Uh, the comic who just died, Paul Mooney, was there. He, he but he's been there. He was there for the last ten years of his life, saying anything outrageous. Uh, all right, I gotta ask you about uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, and um, her. Uh, what was it? Her announcement that you know? I thought thought it was when you when you settle through the fine print. I thought it was kind of like overplayed totally because. 
originally it was like, I'm not going to talk to white reporters. That's how I was first put. Then it was, well, it's really, uh, she's going to give preference uh, to uh, people, uh, reporters of color uh, in interviews dealing with her second year anniversary. You get what I'm saying? I'm like, are we kind of broken this out? But anyway, I gave a shout out on the show when we were discussing it. Or actually, Dennis gave it. Hey, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, if you're uh, going to give um, preference uh, to reporters or to uh, journalists of color, uh, reach out to Mark Sims. So I just wondered, Mark, have you heard from uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot? Wait, people? I'm, work, I'm working on Mayor, I mean, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I'm sending her emails, sending, sending her letters. I need to work some back channels, like people like Ben. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm trying, nothing. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get uh, former Governor Pat Quinn on the show. I'm working some back channels with people I know, but it's, <laughs> it's going to work itself out. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Right. Well, I think Pat Quinn will be a easier get than Lori Lightfoot. But I, I gotta, I gotta kick out of it uh, because mark does have i always tease him about this uh he has a podcast uh that's basically for black people only uh and um only because black folks got mad at me because I had people like Arnie Duncan and, and Paul Vallis on the show. I had a bunch of white folks on my show. Then of course black people get mad. You can't make everybody happy. So I had a podcast uh for them. Now of course yeah. you know you can't make these people happy but I but sometimes you have to have a podcast that because uh, uh, we do speak English, that is really targeted for African Americans. It's like right now, the issue that is fewer African Americans in the state of Illinois going to college, high school kids going to college. Mm. So most people don't, don't want to hear that down. They don't care because they, they, their kids not African American. What do I care about that? So some issues you really have to target to the African American community. And I think all people understand that. All right. Well, uh, so when you finally get Lori Lightfoot uh, to be a guest uh, on your podcast, you're going to have her on. Uh, just a few questions or uh, for black people only podcast? No, no. She, first, she'll be on just a few questions, the general public podcast. Then I'll say off the air, you know, if you ever get another, we talk again, let's do the other podcast. <laughs> I'm having a, an elected fish on the show next week, and we're going to start her on the uh, on the uh, uh, general public podcast. And then later on, we're going to have our own just a few question podcast, and we can talk directly to our people. <laughs> Uh, and I, my guess is that uh, that official you're having on next week uh, has the initials. J. <laughs> yeah, I don't know Jason. I don't know Jason. Okay. Okay. She, okay. She, she's a, she's an older woman. I had Maria Haddon on the show, and she was phenomenal. So I'm very happy to get this young lady on the show. There's a lot of older men probably wouldn't do my show because you know how many listeners you got. Who are you? You know, we oh, especially yeah, African Americans. We got we got some real issues. Yeah. But Ben, you're the man. You know that. You can come on my show anytime you want. Oh, all right. Uh, all right. So the great, the legendary uh, Harish Patel uh, has connected. That's always a miracle when my guests connect uh, through Google Meet. I'm always stunned and pleased. Uh, so we're going to take a break uh, and then bring Harish. But, but Mark, before you go, I asked you to do this. Part of our um, our bonus drop this week. And actually, I'm I'm inspired. I'm just feeling very uh, nostalgic, and so I'm just going to take the deep dive. I'm going to do like five parts uh, series on the year 1971. Why not? And uh, it all began with uh, Mick Dumkey said he's talking about how the greatest records ever produced were in 1971. So we'll start with that. Oh. But then Sergio Mims is coming on. We're going to do the best movies. We're going to do politics and sports. Ali Frazier. I'm going to have uh, a whole show on Ali Frazier, 1971, perhaps the greatest fight of all time. But Mark, your assignment was to give me your three favorite records no, from 1971. I, 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 I went through it, I can't, but we talk about what we talked about earlier. Let's do the 71. I think you mentioned Shaft was 71. Yeah. Now, I remember seeing 
Richard Roundtree at the Black Expo back at the old International Amphitheater back in the 70s. Had to be 71, probably 72, right? I was I was 70, I think I made nine years old in 71, somewhere in 71, I was nine years old. Now, I then like 30 something, 40 years later, 50, 50 years later, I drove Richard Roundtree when I was a limo driver, which is phenomenal. So that's your hook, Richard Roundtree, Shaft. I think that was 71, 72, 71. which I saw at the, the drive-in when I was a kid. My parents took us to, to, to the drive-in. Well, we were always in the back. Me and my brothers in the back, parents in the front, and we would always fall asleep. But before I fell asleep on Shaft, I saw him in the shower with that white woman. I was like, mm, that was good, man. I, was, I wasn't even 10 years old. I said, damn, he in the shower with a white woman. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole show. Shower with white women. Let's talk. We should, that, should, uh, that should be your next show. That, that'll be your another show. I don't yeah. know if you're like, uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, Mark Sims, uh, thank you very much. Shaft is as good a spot as ever to uh, end uh, this particular uh, portion of the interview because Sharish Patel will tell you that's his favorite song from 1971 as well. Uh, and we're not even going to take a break. We're going to go right into uh, Harish Patel uh, because uh, it would only be fair. Uh, he's been a very good sport sitting through the last five minutes of my interview uh, with Mark Sims. I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you for your favorite songs from 1971. He's a millennial. He, he was, it was like <laughs> 15 years before the man was even born. So he probably doesn't even know any songs from 1971. That's and we're all, we're all about business. So welcome to the show, Harish. Thank you, Ben. All right, before we get started, tell people who you are, what you represent, uh, and then we'll get to why you're here. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Ben, for not only having this, but uh, hosting me. And let me talk a little bit about our work. I am uh, Harish Patel. I'm the Director of Economic Security for Illinois. And we run a, a coalition uh, of over 35 organizations, union folks, uh, foundations, advocacy organizations that... Uh, think about economic security for Illinois, ultimately. And uh, we work both on policy organizing, policy analysis, advocacy, all the way down from Springfield federally and locally. And, uh, you know, um, I'm hoping we can get a little uh, deeper into the, the problems of inequality in Illinois and how we can fix it. Yes. All right. And so in particular, uh, there is a bill uh, that is, I guess it's in the Senate right now. Uh, no, it's in both uh, chambers, the House and the Senate, uh, having to do with the earned income tax credit. Uh, as soon as I say this, uh, uh, Harish, I have the feeling that people are uh, tuning me out. And this is a constant in my life, if I may use you as a therapist. Uh, whenever I talk about uh, issues about in, uh, inequality, generally their financial issues, their municipal financing issues, uh, their tax issues, uh, the system is very complicated. And in part, I've always believed that it's complicated in, just to uh, perpetuate the social inequities that already exist because people stop paying attention at, at a certain point. So, that's my way of saying we're going to be feeding you broccoli, ladies and gentlemen. And I want you to eat it because it's very important and healthy for you. So let's talk about uh, the tax credit. Go ahead. Uh, take people, give people an introduction to it. Uh, Harish. Yeah. And, and Ben, I think more and more people are going into eating their veggies and broccoli nowadays. Politics has gotten sexier and sexier. Texas are getting sexier and sexier. And I'm actually here for it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look. To start off, I think it's important to say that uh, America and Illinois already had a lot of inequality. I mean, every nobody is um, under a rock thinking that that doesn't exist, right? So we have a pretty messed up 
economic system in some ways that are leaving a lot of people behind. And um, Illinois is not any better than any other state. So we got a lot of problems when it comes to inequality and just deep poverty. And it's like, look, even if you're not poor, this actually impacts you. Because a lot of the times we all pull in our taxes. Well, not everybody pays taxes, but the majority of the population does. And when the middle class is paying taxes, and if we don't actually get people out of poverty, well, guess what? People have to keep paying taxes to keep paying for those, right? So it's actually, even if you are not getting and receiving some of this, you probably should pay attention because you should know the tax code and maximize your impact from the tax code because it governs every aspect of our lives. So for us, uh, the bill that we put together, it's called expanding the earned income credit. And for folks who don't really pay attention to tax code much, uh, at least understand that you all just paid taxes on your income in May, May 17th, right? That was your tax day. Well, when people pay taxes, you probably see a bunch of tax credits that, you know, if you have a child, you're going to get a tax credit from the federal government. Well, one of these are called the earned income tax credit that's been around for 50 years. Uh, and what it ultimately is, is a tax relief or a tax benefit for people who are making less than 60000 And if you have dependents, let's say you got one or two or three dependents, uh, you get a little bit more because the government is saying, we know that you don't have enough money. Here is some money back that you already earned back to you. Illinois is one of the states that actually has a matching. So, you know, if you get a federal government to give you $100 in Illinois, you get 18 more dollars from your state government. So because we have a match of 18%. Well, that match is, you know, helping about a million people, but there's a lot of people that are being left behind. And so what our bill does, it expands that earned income credit in the state of Illinois so it can be accessible for people who are filing with a nine-digit number called the ITIN. They're not filing with a social security number. They're filing with an ITIN number. And for people who are providing care. And so that's what the bill does. Caregivers and ITIN expansion. Okay. So let's deal with that first category. Um, the people uh, who are not currently eligible. And why are they not eligible? So this, this, this particular tax credit that I'm talking about, the earned income tax credit, has been around for about 50 years. When it was officially sort of formalized in the federal government, the, the world used to look a lot different. Work has changed, but the tax code has not kept up with how work has changed. So originally it was made for people who are 25 to 65. The assumption is that as you get closer to 25, you're going to get married and have kids. And therefore you need more money and support from the government. But if you're 23, you are not having any kids. Or if you're 19, you're in college getting your degree. Over 65, the assumption was you don't have to work. You got all the other support programs, social security, Medicaid. So it was built for that. But sadly, we have 65, 66-year-old people who are working because we didn't take care of them. And same thing in 1920, people sometimes do have kids at 19, 20, 21, and or sometimes they're supporting their own family to get through um, tough times. And for most people, there's not a single person I know in Illinois at this point who doesn't know somebody who's been affected by the pandemic somehow, right? And so this inequality that already existed for a long time and left people behind is really now leaving people behind because of the pandemic. And so that's like the people who used to be taken care of are 25 to 65 year old with kids. We want to expand it to people who are 18 all the way up to, you know, unlimited age. 
There should be no age cap. And then it's folks who are uh, filers uh, with the ITIN number. So they're paying taxes, they're working. They don't have a social security number, so they file with what is called an ITIN, Individual Tax Identification Number. They're paying taxes in the federal government. They're paying taxes on their income tax in the state, but they don't qualify for any tax credit. And so we want to make sure that those folks who are paying into the system get their money back, uh, and especially because we need it. You want to do economic recovery, well, people got to have money to spend money. You got to be able to pay the rent. Got to pay those fees and uh, all, the, all the red light ticket cameras. But if people don't got that money, they're not going to be able to pay for it. And why don't they have social security numbers? Some of these folks are immigrants, undocumented folks. Uh, some of those folks may be here on a, on a, on a, on a different kind of visa, but uh, they work and they're paying taxes. And some of these folks are paying taxes for 10, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And the federal government uh, doesn't allow them to file for, uh, for this. Five states in the United States have uh, included ITIN filers uh, to be able to be eligible for tax credit. Uh, sadly, uh, we're not one of those five, and hopefully we will become the sixth state in the nation that allows that. The other part of this is um, we want to make sure that uh, parents who have children under the age of six also get this. Right now, they get it, but it's a very small amount. And we want to make a base credit of $600 because, same thing, everybody knows how tough this past couple of years have been on parents. You're trying to take care of somebody at home, or you got two kids, one in school, but it's, they're all homeschooling and People, like, you know, a lot of people had to give up hours at work. That has a burden on, uh, on, on Illinois families. And what we're saying is if you got a kid, let's at least get you $600 over the year from your state government because you have a child, because we know the cost of living, cost of childcare has gone up. Mm-hmm. Same thing about elder care. So if you're taking care of your parents or grandparents, and many of the generations, what we know is some of these people are taking care of not only a child, but also an elder in the same household, right? So you got a 75-year-old uh, parent and a, a, and a four-year-old. We're saying, let's make sure that those people who are spending their resources or have to cut their hours from work because of the pandemic and or because they got to take care of these people are getting at least a minimum credit of $600. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and then before I get into uh, some of the political ramifications of all this, uh, let's just talk about caregivers. You mentioned caregivers. So let's f- uh, finish that up before uh, I get to the political questions. So yeah. how are caregivers affected by this proposed bill? Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm just amazed that we don't have a better system for taking care of all these people who are, uh, America is not a good place in some ways to be able to raise children, you know? Uh, it's so expensive. Uh, childcare goes up every year. I have a lot of family members, a lot of friends who are having, you know, younger kids. And it's like, man, they're paying $1,500, $2,000 just to provide childcare, not all the other associated costs to having a child. So that's sort of the aspect of childcare that we want to at least support families by giving them a little bit of a bump in their income. And ultimately this is not a bump in, in their income. It's bump. It's their tax money going back to them. And there are folks who, you know, a lot of us would agree. If you have, if you're taking care of a person with disability at home or, or an elder person, right? A grandparent or a parent, or for some people, it may be a spouse. You, we believe that the government should do something for you. And I know that we all want our government to work for us. And this is one way uh, that our government is saying, hey, you're working, you are paying taxes, but here's a little bump for you because this past few years, this past few decades have been very tough on everybody. 
All right. Now, and as I said to you before we went on the air, uh, Harish, a couple hours ago, we had this conversation. I didn't want to go full into it because I'll save it for the show. But I've written articles about uh, the income tax credit. And I always, when I think about it and write about it and talk about it, it, it just strikes me as such a Republican concept. Uh, and by that, I mean uh, so much of the Republican parties, if they have any proposals to how to address any problem we have. And this is me speaking, not Harish. Harish is very uh, nonpartisan. Okay. So this is me speaking. Don't hold him accountable for what I say, Republicans. So Republicans, their worldview is any problem, let's solve it by getting people to pay less in taxes. Okay. Now I got issues with that because you got to support government. If you don't pay taxes, then we can't support government. It's a lot harder to repave a road or pay a pension or whatever else you want to do with your money. Uh, Pay it for schools if you don't pay taxes. That said, the Republican, this is their great philosophical approach to every single problem we have in our country. And the crowning achievement, as they see it, of Donald Trump's four years in office, the crowning achievement was the 2017 tax bill that gave a huge tax break to the wealthiest people in our country on the grounds that if you give them money that they would otherwise have to pay to the government, there will be money spent and the economy will boom. This is the most basic Republican approach to government. So Harish, you would think that they would be embracing your bill. So I want to hear from you that right now you have 100% support from Republicans in both the House and the Senate because it doesn't get any more Republican than this. So do you have 100% support of Republicans in the House and the Senate? Ben, I do not have 100%, but we are lucky to have um, Reb Demmer, who is the chief budget negotiator in the House on the Republican side, who have co-sponsored this bill. And you're right. Look, the the history of this particular tax credit has been bipartisan for over 50 years. Uh, even when even in Illinois, it's been bipartisan, and and both parties and, and and economists from ranging from all the way to socialist left or all the way down to center and even conservatives do believe that there are few programs, right? That that there are few programs that both agree on actually is good for society. Now, I think your philosophical argument is true that. Uh, maybe the small government versus big government uh, is, is, is possibly a one difference in how Democrats and Republicans think. But when it comes to the earned income tax credit, it actually has a really strong bipartisan uh, history. And it's partly you're right. Look, um, the, the, the Trump tax code, uh, a tax cut that you're talking about, didn't actually go to most people. It went to the top, 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 top percent, right? And the assumption there was, the talking points there was, that it will trickle down. Well, it hasn't trickled down. Nobody believes anymore that it trickles down, okay? The, the complete opposite of that is the earned income tax credit or child tax credit because it literally only is made for people who are closer, right? They're making less than $60,000. I guarantee you that it will trickle up because what people do when you give them money uh, on the bottom income tile, they're not investing in stock market, right? They're not building out wealth. They're not just giving it to their kids in, in, in the state. What they're doing is 
spending that money in their neighborhood. They're buying food. Hopefully they're buying drinks. They're buying coffee because that whole industry needs a revival. We all know so many small businesses are going to shut down. We want to make sure that those folks have money to go to the barbershop, to the grocery stores, right? So that's the other alternative sort of way of thinking. We do want targeted tax cut that the government should provide. We also want to make sure that we're not taxing people into poverty. Mm. We should be taxing a, a whole different people so the government can function and reduce the tax burden and create some tax equity for the people on the bottom income tile. Mm. And Illinois, as you know, has an extremely regressive tax code. So EITC, the earned income tax code, is one of the only ways you can lower some of the burden on the poorest amongst us. And also, none of us want poor people. It's not like we, we would want Illinois not to have a single poor person. Poverty is a policy problem and can, was created by us and therefore can be solved by us. And EITC happens to be a really simple solution that is part of the tax code, has a bipartisan support, one of the most effective ways to get people out of poverty. So let's expand it to people who need it. Okay. Well, now we're getting into another thing. By the way, before we get into the other thing, I just got to say this. That was a great riff. Give you a lot of credit for that. Uh, but, uh, and by the way, do you see folks how skillfully he played that uh, nonpartisan thing? That's why he is who he is and I am who I am. I struggle to say something nice about Republicans. Uh, I'll say this. I've heard rich people, uh, right-wing politicians criticize or whine W-H-I-N-E about this, not as opposed to drinking wine about this program because they're not benefiting from it. And they always try to act like, oh, man, the poor people are getting away with murder in this country because they get this uh, earned income tax credit. We don't get it. And that's I, I think this is interesting because this is why ultimately I believe that you have to have uh, not income based programs. If you want to if you want to promote like college for everybody, it's got. It's got, there has to be no income-based provision to it because if the rich people see that they can get benefit from it, they'll support it. That's just my humble opinion about human nature. Uh, now, let's go back to um, the political end of it. Uh, I set you up when I said you have 100% support and you from Republicans in the state, and you, uh, you said you have some, but you don't have 100%. And part of the reason, in my humble opinion, you don't have 100% is because uh, it would offer this uh, program to folks who are, quote-unquote, undocumented. And... Um, Man, I could just see the Trump commercials already, MAGA's commercials on this already. I have many uh, beliefs how hypocritical they are if they were to do a commercial like that. But that's my guess about how the politics is being played out here. Uh, what's your thoughts on this subject? Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's very complex and I don't know if I would paint that all um, – all Republicans or all Democrats when it comes to this particular program, because we have seen uh, a lot of budgets actually have support for expansion of uh, resources for undocumented families in Illinois. So yes, yeah, it may be on some extremes that you may be thinking that um, people might not want money to go to this group or that group. Uh, and you know, a lot of the times this is just a code for race or gender, right? And so we know, or sometimes it's a code for geography. Where do people live? The, the, the amazing thing about the earned income tax credit is that we did an analysis a few years ago and found that every zip code in the state of Illinois has earned income credit recipients currently 
and our expansion will do the same. There's not a single district, House or Senate, that won't see a positive impact, a net impact from our expansion. And for us, that's there's a lot of very few things, few policies that can count on every zip code in the state of Illinois, every district in the state of Illinois, uh, having some beneficiaries, right? Also, look, IT filers are paying taxes. So if you want to be fair, just give them their money back, right? You don't want their money then. If you don't want to support them, <laughs> then give them their money back. And we actually already have a program for you to do that. Use the earned income tax credit and give the folks their money that they've been paying in taxes for. Some of these folks have been paying the taxes for 20, 30 years without asking for much. Yeah. So for me, it's like, it's not only that, it's an economic impact. Look, you may not want the undocumented person to get that money, but let me tell you this. Those people are shopping in all kinds of businesses. There's an economic development, there's a multiplier effect that happens when these folks shop, pay sales tax. They're buying groceries from folks. They're pay, you know, uh, kicking cabs somewhere. All of that is still really good for our neighbors. Nobody wants, look, if I had a neighbor who was struggling, I'm not, I don't want that neighbor to struggle. If you don't have a moral reason, think about the economic reason, right? Like both, I have both. I believe that there is a moral imperative for us to make sure that our neighbors are, are safe and secure. It actually makes me feel safe and secure. And that's my self-interest in some ways. And there's an economic reason. You want a faster recovery, make sure everybody's included. It's the same way that public health folks, if your neighbor is undocumented, you don't want them to get a vaccine. Well, that's silly you because guess what? That's not how this thing works, right? If your neighbor has a fire on their house and they're undocumented and you're going to say you don't want that fire to be put down because they're undocumented. Well, guess what happens to your house after that fire? I mean, that's just a silly argument, right, Ben? And so for me, what we have seen is that most people get this. They understand that economic recovery doesn't happen when you do just pockets and targeted in this neighborhood or that neighborhood. You got to, in this particular moment, we've had the worst economic crisis in you know 100 years or so. You're going to have to make it inclusive. You're going to have to make it equitable. And you're going to have to pump a lot of resources and direct cash so people have the money to pay to spend that money. Uh, well done. You convinced me. Of course, I was already convinced. Uh, all right. Uh, so talk about the specifics. How will this pass? Will it pass as a separate bill or will it pass as part of the larger uh, budget? What's your thoughts? Yeah, at this point, we did have a, a bill, and we actually have 49 uh, representatives in the House who are co-sponsor of the bill, and about 30, which is majority in the Senate, uh, that co-sponsor this. And Senator Sims and Rep. Emmons are carrying our bill with the support of all the other uh, legislators that I mentioned. Um, what usually happens, and as you probably know, and some of your audience might know, is that a lot of the budget items that cost money end up being part of the big budget negotiations that are ongoing currently. So in the next day or two, we're going to, Illinois is going to uh, produce a probably around $40 billion budget, you know, uh, give and take a couple of percentages. Uh, our hope is that this particular aspect, the earned income credit bill will be part of that budget. It only costs $130 million total, right? And that's over two years. First year is only about 60 million, and that's for the full thing. For the IT part is about 50 million. So it's not that expensive, mm. and we know that that money is going to go right into, into people. So for us, we're really hoping that 
as part of the budget negotiation happened and the budgeteers are meeting, they keep in mind the needs of the Illinois families and households. And this particular bill will be part of that budget negotiation. Well, then the, the bizarre uh, end result will be if it does part pass as part of a budget. Uh, here's my prediction. Get your thoughts on this. Uh, it will pass because of virtual overwhelming, if not uh, complete and total Democratic support because it'll be Democrats who pass the budget. Uh, I doubt that any Republicans in our current political state, and he's a big word, so very, very, very few Republicans will vote for the budget uh, because it'll be all hands on decks to promote this notion uh, that somehow or other J.B. Pritzker and the Democrats are fiscally irresponsible by trying to even have a budget as opposed to Bruce Rauner. And so the irony of ironies, Harish, is that a uh, legislation that is so quote unquote Republican in its philosophy will be passed by Democrats who are doing the right thing by financing government and opposed by Republicans who uh, will be looking uh, toward for ammunition to use against J.B. Pritzker in the uh, gubernatorial campaign, which is literally right around the corner. I know Harish is he's here talking policy, but he's also a political junkie. So he knows that there is a gubernatorial election uh, right around the corner of 2022. That's my prediction. What is your prediction? Go ahead, Harish. Yeah, I mean, governance is hard, Ben. And, you know, politics is easy in some ways. Governing is very hard. Um, I would say that um, the budget negotiation always ends up doing this, right? It's a, it's a puzzle. A lot of folks are trying to make sure that some of their priorities are included. Uh, I mean, we are lucky that we have um, uh, three Republicans in the House who have signed on to our bill. We know that they know the long bipartisan support, and we know that Reb Demer, uh, we just did a town hall with him a couple of weeks ago, really spoke to this, like his, his district, his neighbors are struggling. He can see that because folks just don't have money to put in. That's not, you know, he's not uh, in an urban area, right? People are struggling all over the state in rural areas and suburban areas. I mean, we have a lot of folks um, who are seeing sort of their income completely go down to zero. And some of them are having a hard time even to keep their car or a house. So, when, when Republican or Democrat, I mean, when, when district gets call after call after call with, with struggling neighbors, I don't think that's going to be an easy budget for them to be cutting this out or other services. People really, really need more support now more than ever. You cannot be making uh, bets that somehow the federal government or somehow the recovery is going to happen from the, the, the free market, at least not now. And so I think this budget is going to look uh, very comprehensive, hopefully. And who, you know, I hope that it's actually that uh, not only the governor is happy that I think the Republicans do vote for, or at least enough Republicans vote for it, that it ends up being a bipartisan solution because many of the districts that Republicans represent are going to benefit, but at yeah. least know from the earned income tax credit, Every district benefits. Yeah. All right. Uh, Harish, if people want to know more about the issue, want to know, know more about your group, what can they do? Where can they go? Um, we're, on, we're on the website. It's economicsecurityillinois.org. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. as the same name, EconSecure, uh, economicsecurityillinois.org. And, you know, they can uh, find my contact information. If they have any questions or concerns, uh, they can email me there directly. Very good. Uh, Harish Patel and... Uh, you did a great job. Thanks for coming on the show. I want to bring you back. Maybe next time you come on, we'll talk politics. He'll, yeah. pro- he'll take off his uh, non-political hat 
and put on his political hat. The man knows a lot about politics, ladies and gentlemen. We've been sticking strictly to this one issue, uh, but he could take the deep dive on politics as well. So, uh, Harish, thank you very much for coming on the show and best of luck with you on this important issue. All right. Thank you, Ben. All right. That's Harish Patel. I also want to thank uh, Mark Sims. Uh, Dr. D, before we leave today, yeah, I have to prepare for uh, the bonus show that we'll be doing uh, with Mick Dumkey, where we start our series in 1971, which I'm so excited about. And we're, Mick and I are going to go through the, the music in 1971. He's, folks, he has worked so hard, Mick Dumkey, on this list of his favorite records of 1971 that came out and he uh in his opinion 1971 is the greatest year for pop and rock music of all time i'll explain why he's not the only one who thinks that by the way there's a i think apple is coming out with a documentary called 1971 on this subject i i don't believe 1971 is the greatest but whatever it's uh i got a lot of favorite albums from there what are your favorite songs i said three songs or three records from 71 uh, th- this was long before you were born, of course, uh, but you must have three favorite. You had time to do the research. Yeah. What are your three favorite? Go I ahead. I went and looked them up. 1971, uh, three albums that came out. Uh, my first one, 1971. Oh, my. Wrong button. My first one, 1971. Black Sabbath, Master of Reality. I'm writing these down, then I'll be sharing them with McDumkey. We also have Stacey Davis Gates's favorites uh, and a lot of other different people I've been reaching out to will be uh, dropping their three favorites. Go ahead, D. All right. Uh, I looked online, like I said, wasn't born at all, so I had to look it up. Uh, Maggot Brain Funkadelic. That's on Mick's list. Okay, yeah. Great, great album. And uh, uh, my one of my personal favorite bands the uh i think it was the debut album from thin lizzie 1971 uh that's not on mixed list but i'm gonna uh, add it uh to him let's see what he has thoughts about it but you and he share your love for the funkadelics and i love them too but they're not on my top 10 list as you can guess mine's a lot more poppy than either mix uh or dennis's so thanks d i wrote them down and i'll share them with mick on that show which we're going to be recording and dropping we're recording about uh, uh two hours and dropping this weekend and so, al- uh, also tomorrow uh we're going to be reviewing the week that was in chicago and or illinois news with oh what a week it was um oh what a week it was which is probably our most popular show that we do uh on a regular basis here and this week i i i just want to tease it yesterday chicago city council meeting has given us a lot of material that is for certain about the insanity of our town uh, this is uh and uh dave Kloatz, of course will be returning for the deeper dive uh, another very popular segment of the show. When Dave Gloss comes on, we take the deep dive in the city council. So we're going to have a lot of good material from that uh, meeting yesterday to talk about on, oh, what a week it was. Uh, Dr. D is already dutifully preparing for that. I want to thank Arish Patel and Mark Sims. It's always a blast talking to Mark Sims and uh, for being such great guests. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible, and it's Harish Patel. And Mark Sims will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. Doobie. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 